Shabbat Shalom, friends. Good to be back with you this week and to connect with some of the positive aspects of this week's reading, which is Hukat, statutes. Here we have that dialogue and dimension known as the Red Haifa. Red Haifa, which there is so much talk today about, maybe they found the Red Haifa, that is a Haifa, a Red Haifa without any blemish, and all of the requirements, that during the time of the Temple was, was brought as an offering of which The, the residue of this offering could literally cleanse away, literally remove, eliminate every aspect of negativity, whether it be in the way of illness, whether it be in the way of, uh, 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 of mental illness, physical illness. An incredible, an incredible vessel of cleansing. This is a story about the right Haifa. So while we are not necessarily going to re address the idea of if the red Haifa appeared, does that mean the temple is, according to some traditions, will now appear or will now be built those those ideas simply simply you know at the moment don't have a great interest for me because I need some assistance right now and as we have learned this weekly read of the scroll at the particular that is read is what is what enclose us with that protection shield so that I can face the next week without of usual chaos that will accompany after the weekend. And so we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. We can't dare not take it lightly. That any of the negativity within us whether it be illnesses of any sort, another opportunity. In addition to that month of cancer, of which usually Hukat coincides with, as a cleansing methodology, an additional source of relief, an added aspect of prescription medicine by which we can make our lives more wholesome and certainly one of the 
greatest liabilities that we face each and every single day is one that concerns our health. And so we have in this reading, in this reading, because of the lack of a, of a, of a temple, which was that power station that we could access into, tap into, and draw to us the light force of God, that light force solution. I like that word solution. So it not only implies a solution which consists of many aspects, but it's a solution. A solution to many to many of those incidents of chaos that continuously spring up at different intervals in our life. And so we have that opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't leave home without it. But I would like to also stress another very significant aspect to this healing process known as the Red Hypha was truly incredulous is the fact that the priest administering this potion, this mixture, this solution to the individual who has come to cleansing and as I said, there is no aspect of negativity or short-circuitness that the, that the solution of the red hyphen could not reach or touch and eliminate. But what is so strange in this administering of this solution of the Red Hypha, that the priest who has the ability and capacity to remove the optimum levels of negativity, which is essentially the origin for all chaos. In other words, chaos doesn't read arise from without, but as we have learned in Kabbalah, take responsibility because you, with your negative activities, whether it be in this lifetime or prior lifetimes, you are responsible for all of the chaos that surrounds your very life. Although, it is certainly the tendency for us to try and make an attempt to blame others for what we are indeed responsible. And therefore, once we take this responsibility, understanding that while nobody has the right to impose negativity upon me, while it's true that much, much of the chaos that maybe reaches into my life comes from evil eye, from other forms of negativity, 
perpetrated by others, but nevertheless, I could not draw that energy. If my vessel, whether in this lifetime or another lifetime, had not been pierced, that protective shield had not been pierced by my own negative activity. And so that this is a tikkun process, the correction process, to how do we speed up or how do we accomplish a, a, a tikkun process, which seems to be irreparable, irre irrevocable. As many conditions of chaos do exist or seem or appear to exist in our lives. And so here, the, the priest who administers the solution of the red hypha removes, mind you, can remove all of these negative results of our negative activity, which result in, quote, dis-ease, for that is the result of our negative activity. And this can remove, remove those flaws in our security system, our protective system, our security shield. However, states scripture, the priest administering this solution, he in turn absorbs and becomes unclean because of the negative, the negative or negativity that he has drawn out has removed from that individual, the victim. And now he becomes, some might say cursed, some might say inflicted, but he nevertheless is now the bearing carrier of this negativity to whatever extent it might have been and therefore now must undergo a purification process, which he does. For there is, in this section, the ability to remove from the administer of this solution that negativity which unfortunately must be drawn to him. Here is the, here is such a profound message of scripture which generally is overlooked. And that is a healer, a physician, for him or her to be successful requires a consciousness that this physician is prepared to assume and take upon oneself the negativity that this physician, this surgeon, is now prepared to remove from the patient. To have this compassion for the patient. To 
feel the pain of the patient. For it appears, and it becomes quite apparent from Scripture, that a healing process must include the healer. That if his consciousness is lacking, the chances are that that procedure will probably not be successful. Profound. And consequently, it is most urgent that when we seek medical advice, that we make every attempt to choose a physician or a healer that can embody that kind of compassion, that kind of responsibility, and ultimately cure on a permanent basis the patient. Also included in this section is something very strange. But throughout the throughout the book of of uh, Bamidbar, which we now call in the desert, its true name rather than just numbers. Without going into why why did some people designate this as uh, numbers? But in any event, in this section, we have the death of Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron and Moses, and the death of Aaron, the brother of Moses and Miriam. And briefly stated, this is a great opportunity because when we connect with the reading of scriptures on Shabbat, remember, well, through the Brit Shemay, we travel back in time. The reason we travel back in time, because we go back 3,400 years through that time machine known as the Brit Shemay, and reach right into and stand at Mount Sinai. And therefore, we are there. We are there at the time when Miriam and Aaron disappears from this earthly scene. And as had been stated in Zohar without going into a lengthy discourse, but the death of righteous people cleansed the act of time because we go back 3,400 years through that time machine known as the Barish Shemay and reach right into and stand at Mount Sinai. And therefore, we are there. We are there at the time when Miriam and Aaron disappears from this earthly scene. And as had been stated in Zohar without going into a lengthy discourse, but the death of righteous people cleansed the atmosphere only if you take this opportunity to connect with these two particular righteous souls, or for that matter, any righteous soul. And therefore, it is customary, when possible, we light a candle. The reason we light a candle is because 
we want to demonstrate that on this physical level, while we cannot, or for the most part, see these entities which no longer are accessible on a physical level, for they are now concealed from our eyes, not that they have died, but they are very much alive, but that we have the inability to observe them, to see them, to feel them. But that is not necessarily true if we know how to make the proper connections. First one is consciousness that I want to make the connection. Secondly, that I can make the connection. And there are different ways by which we make this connection, one of which is, of course, the lighting of the candle. And here we have in this section something which is justifies the imagination of least mind. The Israelites, as is customary, begin to complain. And they gather onto the shoulders of Moses and Aaron and begin to quarrel with them. Why have you bringing us, brought us into this wilderness, this forsaken wilderness, the Sinai deficit, to die? Why did you take us out of Egypt? And again here, just to remind us, although we probably have forgotten that Egypt never represented slavery because you just simply cannot have a nation that has just been freed, supposedly, from slavery wanting to go back there at every... And this section, this book of Bamidbar is so replete with, with stories about, let, let Moses take us back. I know if you speak to a concentration victim in Auschwitz or any of the recent horrible, horrible camps with such, with such lack of human dignity that they want to go back there again. Couldn't wait for the day to be free. Was that the case here? No. But I don't want to dwell upon that. But certainly that Passover story, unfortunately, became so corrupt that it defies my imagination how it could have escaped Bible readers of all faiths so many, so many millennia. But in any event, they say, look, we have no water. And, and the commentators say, yes, because Moses, uh, because Miriam was the actual bearer of this well that you literally used to travel with the Israelites. You imagine the miracles they had. They had a well traveling with them because of the merit of Miriam. Now that she passed on, no water. And so they, they say, hey, we're not there. I mean, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know that I, if I had seen so many miracles, almost daily, that suddenly when, when there's no water, now I think all the miracles have ceased at this given moment when they continued to come forth. Why wouldn't they, why wouldn't 
God take care of water this time? As he had done in the past. When they didn't have water and again complained. Where's the water? Of course, God couldn't create any more miracles. I guess his time ran out. Well, the amount of miracles ran out. The hypocrisy that appears to, to, to stem from, from these people. And then what happens? We have the familiar beating of the stomach and water is extracted. What a miracle! And God tells Moses, take your staff, assemble all of the Israelites, and speak to the stone, and draw water from the stone. And I have, on another occasion, explained why today, with quantum knowledge as to how water could be extracted from the stone. It's, it's not something that God can create and man cannot. If we understand the true nature of nature. But we have been so misinformed, well-intended, well-intended, but with a lack of Kabbalistic knowledge, which will excuse those who have given us the ideas of what water is about. And so what happens? Moses takes the staff, and he tells the Israelites, you rebellious people, I am going to draw water from this stone. And Moses raises his hand and strikes the stone twice. Time does not permit me to go into all of the details, but he strikes the stone and certainly water appeared. And the entire nation of Israel drank they and their cattle and everything, and everything wonderful. So a day or two later, which I won't go through, we have the same story over and over and over again. It is only to indicate to us how we have such short memories. We've all had miracles in our lives. But God, what do you do for me today? Hey, wait a second. Maybe you're not deserving today. Maybe there's something that you've done that brings about the shutting off and disconnect with, with, the, with the light force of God that can perform all sorts and all kinds of miracles. But because of this incident, Moses beat the stone and did not talk to the stone as God instructed, he, he was condemned to die in the wilderness and never reach the promised land as the leaders of this nation known as Israelites. Why? Why such a harsh, harsh decision on the part of God? And 
I guess we can ask another question. Why did Moses indeed strike the stone if God told him to speak to the stone? Just speak to the stone. And to make matters even more complicated, back in the book of Shemot, Names, again, another name that we apply now to the second book of Moses. No longer Exodus. Had nothing to do with Exodus. Not Exodus from Egypt, certainly. Maybe Exodus from chaos. That, that might have been a proper, a proper name to apply to the second book. But even that would not be correct because it states specifically in its universal name, Shemot, to the second book of Moses, it is named, because within this book, the revelation of Kabbalah, the practical end of Kabbalah, was revealed, but concealed for 3,400 years, as well as the book of Abraham, 4,000 years. Thank you. But yet, it has a life of its own, and we still have the Zohar with us, Despite the many attempts, and I say many, countless numbers of attempts, including our present day, including our present day anti-capitalist movement, that while it is becoming so disoriented, and while it's becoming so, uh, um, so few that still participate in this anti-capitalist movement, and Christians take heed. You've got the wrong name. It's anti-capitalist. Those are the perpetrators of the extension and perpetuity of chaos. In that book, Moses is told by God to strike the stone. And water came out. This time, this time, for whatever reason, and I, unfortunately I can't go into handling all of these questions, but I throw them out to you because questions bring answers. If you don't have questions, you'll never have answers. It just doesn't stick in your consciousness. And so here he tells him to speak to him, and the answer is quite simple. Zohar explains this. That when, at the time of Shimon, when they left Egypt, their consciousness was so low, so low, that if they didn't see Moses strike that stone, but just spoke to it, they would think, even though the water, the water produced, was obviously something they drank. But nevertheless, they would have asked for their money back. Why? Because if you didn't strike the stone, just spoke to it and the money came out, that's not what we paid for. We're paying for illusion. You know, you know, the, 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 uh, the magician, he's got to cover up the hat. He covers it up for a second. And then, lo and behold, an empty hat before now produces a pigeon. 
Now we understand. Anyone believe it? No. But if he did that and the pigeon didn't come out, they'd want their money back. We've been fooled. You promised us a pigeon. Wait a second. Do you believe that? But this is human nature. I'm, I'm just sharing a little of, of something maybe that we don't, we don't take notice of. But in any event, God thought here he could speak to the stone. Because the Israelites had supposedly reached a higher level of consciousness. And therefore Moses said, but Moses knew they did not. By virtue of their complaints, that he had not re reached that elevated state of consciousness where you can talk to a stone and produce the water from the stone. And so therefore he hit the stone. And when God said, you can't go into the promised land, it wasn't a punishment for what he had done. But God said, Moses, your level of consciousness cannot lead these people anymore. It's so high that the minds don't meet. And therefore, it would have to be your student Joshua at the level of what we refer to as Malchut, whereas Moses was of a higher level of consciousness that referred to as Zerah. Shabbat Shalom to all of you.